Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by BOC Bank. BOC Bank is a different kind of local bank. It's not the kind of bank that has a branch on every corner, but a technology-first bank built around making your life easier. Everything's online, which means banking is on your time, not theirs. Learn more at bocbanking.com, member FDIC and equal housing lender. This episode is also sponsored by the Union Hall Workspace, which graciously provided recording space in its conference room. Union Hall offers a creative co-working space to a diverse community of freelancers, entrepreneurs, and other mobile professionals, starting at $99 a month. Learn more at unionhalltx.com. Today's guest is Shauna Thornhill. I wanted to have Shauna on for a couple of reasons. First, she has her own optometry practice, Amarillo Vision Specialists, based out of the Walmart Supercenter on Grand. And that's interesting in itself. I, I wanted to learn more about it. She's also Walmart's Optometrist of the Year for 2018. That's nationwide. And her practice was named one of the 10 best in the country by Cooper Vision. But Shauna also grew up in poverty. Education was her escape hatch, and that has made her really passionate about the people she serves and some of the nonprofit work she's involved with. She makes for a fantastic guest. So here's Shauna Thornhill. Shauna Thornhill, welcome to the Hamarillo Podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I, I want to talk about your career for sure and some of the things that you're involved with. But before we get to that point, I'd just like to sort of establish who you are and how you ended up here. So tell me what brought you to Amarillo. Yeah, sure. So I'm not originally from here. I actually went to 17 schools, kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, the were, first question... Were you a bad kid? No. <laughs> See, that's the first time I ever got that. Most people usually ask me if I'm a military brat, right. um, which is sort of yes and sort of no. It's sort of a complicated answer. My dad was a Marine. Um, he went to Vietnam. And then after he got out, he really struggled trying to find what he wanted to do in life. He had not graduated high school. And so he was just trying to look for a job, really. Um, he worked construction. He was a tow truck driver. I mean, pretty much anything. And so we just moved around a lot. We would go to one state. He would finish a job and take us somewhere else. So that's kind of how it started. When I was nine, he got his GED and decided he wanted to be an aircraft mechanic. And so there was a place at the time we were in Colorado, which is where I was actually born at, um, called Colorado Aerotech up in Denver. And so he went there, got his mechanic license, and then he became an aircraft mechanic. That industry is pretty volatile. And so we moved around even more after he became an aircraft mechanic once he found what he wanted to do. And so we lived in Phoenix before here. He worked for a company called Dynair, which was at the airport, uh, Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix. Okay. And they had a small hangar out here. Um, and they were just trying to sort of expand their horizons, I guess, in the aircraft world. Uh, that was before Bell was here. Right. Um, well, actually, Bell was here. They left, and then they came back. And so that was kind of in the interim. And so they were trying to fill a void. And so that's what brought us here. So that was my sophomore year of high school. I finished my sophomore, junior, and senior year here. So when people... And that three years, was that the longest you had stayed absolutely, in one place? Yes. So when people ask me, what, what's my hometown? I, I claim Amarillo. So after 17 places. Yes. I hope it here. claims me, but I certainly claim it. So 
What were some of the other places where you lived? Oh, gosh. Okay, so... Um, or you can just name states. Yeah, so there's... Well, I've lived in Phoenix. I've lived in Death Valley, California, probably the most interesting one. I've lived in Everett, Washington, which is just outside Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of small towns. Uh, there was one called Mexican Hat, which is in Utah. I've heard of that. Uh, you have, have, really, in the Four Corners. So yeah, I was born we, in Cortez. Okay, yeah. so we, we drove through that area yeah. and painted desert and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, Mesa you know? Verde, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. that's the big draw out there, which is really cool. Um, I've lived in Nevada, um, of course, Texas. Uh, let's see where else. New Mexico. I mean, just everywhere. It's crazy. Ten states. So pretty much West Coast, though. I didn't move to the East Coast until I did my doctorate degree, and we went to Philadelphia. Okay. But that was me, not my dad. All right. <laughs> so tell me about your perspective. After living in so many different places, yeah. you end up in Amarillo for high school. Right. What was that like? I mean, did did you have any impressions or anything of Amarillo before you moved here? And then sure. what did you feel when you got here? Yeah, you know, so my freshman year in Phoenix, I was finishing that. And when we found out we were getting ready to move here, the first thing everybody asked me was, are you going to ride a horse to school? I mean, you know, that's kind of the, I guess, stereotype of what Texans are, well, sure, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, we all grew up doing that. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I sort of thought that's the way it was going to be. You know, I didn't know anything about Texas. This was the furthest east I'd ever came before. And so, yeah, I was a little disappointed when they had school buses <laughs> instead of horses to drive to school. But um, I didn't know much. My mother was actually born in Texas. Uh, me and my dad always gave her a hard time for having a Texas accent. So mm-hmm. I thought everybody was going to talk different and wear cowboy boots and hats. And that's sort of true. You know, that's the nice thing of Amarillo. It's definitely Texas true. Um, but then it also has, you know, roads and all that. <laughs> Where did you go to high school? So I went to Caprock. Okay. I graduated there in 97. You know, once you you sort of set down roots, you know, it, as many roots as you can put yeah. down in, in three years, um, did it feel like a place that you wanted to stay or were you like, all right, high school's done. I'm going to get out of here. No, this was absolutely my favorite place I've ever lived out of all the places. I always say it's the biggest small town I've ever lived in because I've lived in some really, really small towns and I've lived in some really, really large towns. And this seems to have the best of both worlds to me. You know, it's, it's small enough that you always know somebody. It's big enough that you don't know everybody. Um, but it's got that small town feel to it. Um, a lot of family values, which I love and appreciate. Yeah, it's just the people are great here. I love the people. And when it comes down to it, you know, the oceans are nice, the mountains are nice, but you spend most of your day with people. And so that was the most important thing to me. And that's why I came back as soon as I could. Okay. So you you went away for college, though. Is that right? I did. Where did you go? So I started at West Texas A&M. I was going to school there, working full time at Walmart. And I met my now husband. He ended up going down to Lubbock. And so I transferred to Texas Tech which is where I got my first bachelor's degree. I decided I wanted to go to optometry school. Um, My husband was born and raised in the panhandle, had never been anywhere, and he's sort of a history buff. So I said, why don't we go somewhere really cool that has a lot of history? Well, that's kind of the East Coast. And so I started looking at schools there. There was a doctor um, that worked the same place at Walmart down in Lubbock, and she was from Pittsburgh originally, but she had graduated from the school in Philadelphia. And so I kind of started kind of looking into that. You know, I'd never been to the East Coast, and I thought, how fun would that be? So they offered me a scholarship that paid the difference between out-of-state tuition, so it Mm -hmm. was kind of a no-brainer for us. So we packed up and moved to Philadelphia, and yeah, I mean, the rest is sort of history. 
Did you always intend, though, after going to Philadelphia to come back here? I mean, was that always the plan? Yeah, you know, it, it took a little convincing from my husband because my husband, having always been here, was ready to sort of venture out and mm -hmm. do something new. And I was kind of like, no, that's really a great place. Let's move back. Um, I did, after Philadelphia, I did go down to Miami. I did all my internships down there for a couple reasons. And um, once we really started thinking, oh, I think it's time to have kids now, it, it, it was just set that we'd go back to Amarillo. All of our families here. So I I didn't grow up around my grandparents, so I thought that was really important that my children did. How long were you away? Uh, let's see. Well, I graduated from Texas Tech in 2003, and then we came back in 2007. So four years? Okay. So yeah. not that long. Yeah, not too long. Was it long enough for anything to have changed, or did it feel oh my the same or different when you got back? Well, yes and no. <laughs> so, I mean, the vibe of Amarillo was definitely the same, at least for me. Um, but when we left, there was nothing past the Walmart on Coulter. I mean, absolutely yeah. nothing. There was the veterinarian clinic that always put the funny signs up, um, but nothing else. And Sauncy, there was absolutely nothing when we left. And so we came back, and we were like, oh cow you know look at all this that's that's blown up so I mean it definitely west and south Amarillo had just exploded after living in larger cities like Philadelphia or you know in Florida did was there some relief when you got back, like getting away from the hustle and grind, or did you miss some things once you came well, back Well, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I definitely missed a couple things. I missed, you know, like the ocean. Miami, of course, has amazing ocean. I missed uh, the culture, the diversity. You know, I grew up in so many different places that I really love and crave that. Um, so I missed that, but I don't miss the traffic. <laughs> it took me an hour and a half to get yeah. to work every day in Miami, and that was in good traffic. I mean, I mean, if there was an accident, I mean, it was two hours. So I, I tell people Miami is a great city to visit. It's not a great place to live. And, and the cost of living is just astronomical in Miami. Y you can buy like a house 10 times the size here in Amarillo for that in Miami. Yeah. Well, so after you came back here, um, you know, you finished all your education, your internship. Did you have like a path in front of you like when you came back here or were you just thinking, I'm going to come back and start something. I mean, what was what was waiting for you? Well, yeah, so I just knew I wanted to be here. So when we were finishing up, when I was finishing up all my internships in Miami, I was just looking for a job. That was pretty much it at the time. You know, I've graduated. I was like, I'm going to have all these student loans. I need to pay them off. So I literally just wanted a job. And so I found one, and I stayed there for four years. And it just wasn't feeding my soul is what I always what I tell people, um, you know, growing up in East Amarillo, there's definitely a underserved population over there. And so it was really important for me to get back over there. Most optometrists do it sort of opposite of me. They go into corporate optometry as sort of the stepping stone to get to a private practice. And so I'm sort of an oddball when I tell people I started in this really awesome private practice and then left to go practice at Walmart. And so that, that puzzles a lot of people in my industry. Um, they don't really understand understand why. But for me, it wasn't where I was practicing. It was who I was serving. And so that's why I left and went to where I'm at. I'm interested just because I don't know anything about it, you know, in that difference between the private practice yeah. and the optometrist who has an office yeah. in Walmart, because that was a new thing. You know, when right. we got the big Walmarts, I was like, well, why is this here? What are they right. doing? 
selling glasses and making right. lenses and all that stuff. So tell me how that works. Just from a business model, what does it yeah, look like? Yeah, so Texas is what's called a two-door state for optometry. There's one door and two-door states. Uh, two-door states mean that the corporation cannot employ me. So I am my own business owner. I own the practice. I just lease out the space from Walmart. So everything in the eye doctor side is mine. I you know, I supply my own staff, my supplies, everything. Um, but then I do not sell glasses. So that's Walmart. So they have to go through literally two doors, <laughs> which okay. is where the two doors comes from. They leave my office and have to enter do they another have to go door. go back around through the Walmart So, well, there's a very or? weird little square two-door thing. that As you come out of my office, it's sort of like a little foyer, but it's literally like a two-foot by two-foot <laughs> space that you go through Walmart. So it's kind of odd. And people always ask us, why is this here? And then I have to give them that really long explanation. Um, But yeah, so basically in Texas, a corporation cannot have any influence on how I practice optometry is basically how the law reads, Um, which is good, you know, because I don't want Walmart coming in and saying, you have to prescribe this set of contacts. Um, My medical judgment is what takes precedence. So that's really important. And that's why the Texas Optometry Board has established it in that way which I think is good. But the interesting thing in corporate optometry is people will come in and I get asked the question all the time, are you a real doctor? But, you know, and I always tell them, I am absolutely a real doctor. You know, I did the same training. I actually, when I was in Miami, I actually studied at Bascom Palmer, which is the number one eye hospital in the country. Um, And so a lot of people think because I'm a Walmart optometrist, they are getting sort of less care, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And, And that's the furthest thing from the truth. And that's sort of the myth that I want to dispel. Um, is that a myth among the people that you serve, or is that one that maybe is prevalent even in the optometry community? It, it's, it's both. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely both. Um, that is that is a very hot topic in optometry, especially in the last couple months. There was So Oklahoma is one of the few states left that does not allow corporate optometry at all. And there was a bill that was up for voting just a couple months ago. Um, Well, I guess a month ago in November, and uh, it didn't pass. So I I think it's a little bit of both. Now, the interesting thing with Oklahoma is they actually have surgical rights. And so I guess the concern was, are they going to be doing surgery in Walmart, which really probably wasn't going to happen. But (laughs) You know, because there's there's certain things, sterile, you know, environment and stuff like that that you probably wouldn't be able to accomplish in Walmart. But, you know, you can scare anybody to think anything. And so that's probably what happened. And so that that bill didn't pass. But uh, I think it's mainly in the optometry community because, again, it's used as a stepping stone. The nice thing about moving into a corporate optometry practice is you walk in and it's already set up. You've got patients already there because people just walk into you. And then the equipment is something that Walmart actually facilitates the first step you move in there. And so your equipment's there. It's just a ready-made office for you um, other than your staff and like paper pens, you know, real easy stuff. And so healthcare professionals come out now with so much student debt that it's really appealing to them to move into that at first. Um, But then again, they kind of get scared into thinking they're not a real doctor, they can't practice real optometry. And then they eventually moved to a private practice. So why the connection between Walmart and optometry? Like like why is yeah. that type of service something that you find in so many Walmarts? Is that just yeah. in Texas or is that like a nationwide kind of thing? No, that's nationwide. Well, um, is that a decision like on their part? They thought let's try to make these partnerships? Yeah, so Walmart has had, the super centers have had optometry uh, optometry and vision centers in them, I think, since they opened. Walmart's 
kind of doing some really cool things. So I'm actually on the National Health and Wellness Board for Walmart. And in the, in the next few years, you're going to see some interesting things that Walmart's doing. Um, they've started basically a health and wellness division that's going to branch out into other things, kind of like the clinics that we used to have in United. Some of those have went away, right. um, but they're wanting to kind of step into that too. Um, I think anything to generate sales to high profit areas is, is ideal for a business. Um, the markup on glasses is actually pretty astronomical. Um, it's first only to jewelry, really. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so when you go and buy this $800 pair of glasses, you know, from someplace, eh, the cost of it is kind of lower, quite so a bit it's, lower. it's less of a we want to be able to serve our customers by providing this medical service Maybe it's some of that, but it's also combined with we can make some profit because they're going to buy our glasses. Right. Well, and so that's the direction Walmart's really trying to take now. Now they're really switching. They have a new vice president of health and wellness who's actually been there only about a month. And that's what he's doing. He has a very philanthropic background. He was actually president of something called Optometry One Site, which is a nonprofit that basically goes to inner city um, disaster areas and supplies medical care for these people. And so now that he's been in there. He's really trying to switch it. Walmart's known for years that that's really where they want to go. Regardless of how it started, that's the direction they're trying to move to and really serving some of these customers. So tell me about your customers. You know, obviously you're going to have a different, you know, set of customers than if you opened up a private practice somewhere. So tell me who are the people who come to Walmart, you know, for their optometry needs? So most of my patients are cash-paying patients. Um, A lot of people don't know, but the Affordable Health Care Act does not cover vision services. Um, In the eye world, everything is split between vision and medical eye problems. And so vision is not covered by that. That's sort of an optional service, sort of like a dental plan. And so a lot of people don't have insurance for that. So I see a huge, huge amount of cash patients, which is very weird for an optometry practice. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, most of my patients, I am the only health care practitioner that they see all year. And so that puts me in a unique situation to not only counsel them about their eyes, but to counsel them about their general health. Um, So it's really important for me that I know a lot of the programs in town that service patients without insurance, Um, like Heal the City. um, You know, there's a lot of eyeglass programs, Catholic Family Charities, the Lions Club, um, people that can help these underserved patients and at-risk patients with medical care. Um, I talk to a lot of patients about their diabetes and getting medication and staying on their insulin, um, things that a lot of people don't think optometrists do. Um, I talk to pregnant ladies about getting uh, services and help for first-time mothers, uh, people who are living in poverty and don't know how to take care of a child. Um, So there's a lot of programs in town that service them. So mammograms, I talk to women all the time about free mammograms in the city. where they can get that, how they can get it. Um, I serve a really huge immigrant population as well. Um, There's a lot of refugees and immigrants here. Same thing, they don't have medical care, and so I service a lot of them. I'm the only optometry provider in town that takes every single Medicaid. Um, I think that's something we're lacking in Amarillo is providers for Medicaid. They don't pay well. That's that's not a secret. You know, the Medicaid programs don't pay very much, but I feel like it's my civic duty to... Uh, supply care to these people in need. Do most of your patients, do, do they just walk in? I mean, they just yeah, show so, up? Or? <clears throat> yep. So I've got a little bit of a mix. Um, most optometry practices are, if not solely appointments, pretty much appointments, 90 to 95%. Uh, most of my patients are walk-ins about... 
50 to 60% are walk-ins. So you don't, from day to day, you no. don't really know what's <laughs> No, I say it's feast or famine. We are usually so busy we can't even, like, keep our head on straight or we're sitting there kind of twiddling our thumbs a little bit. Um, but I, I really feel like that's a service to our patients. Uh, transportation in Amarillo is sometimes tough. Uh, for people in East Amarillo uh, with the buses not running as much or wherever. Uh, the great thing is they're coming to Amarillo to get groceries um, or whatever they need, and so they can go ahead and come in and get their eyes checked too. I'd, I'd like to know, you know, maybe just one or two stories. You mentioned some of uh, the immigrant population that you mm-hmm. serve or people, you know, who are living in poverty. Tell me a story about, you know, maybe someone who's discovering for the first time that there's a solution for their vision problems or has never seen, you know, an optometrist or or any sort of doctor about their eyes. So I see a lot of those. Um, We get a lot of people from all sorts of countries. I mean, oh my gosh, I can't even tell you how many countries we've probably serviced in my office. Um, They come in and they're like 60 years old and they've never had an eye exam. Um, We'll go in there, we'll look, and it could be something as simple as needing glasses, you know, and we put them on for the first time and you get that really big smile um, that's very gratifying you know, as a healthcare practitioner. Um, But then there's some ones too, where they're a little tougher, they'll come in and they've never had medical eye care. And they've got cataracts that are just very, very large, and they can't see anything, but they don't have any insurance. Cataract surgery in Amarillo is usually about three grand, maybe more, depending on what's going on. Um, They've usually got very difficult cases to get their cataracts out, and so it could be even more than that. Um, But there's programs in town. There's something called Mission Cataract. Panhandle Eye Group, which is the ophthalmology group here in town, Mm -hmm. does this. And once every two years, uh, they basically have a day where you just show up, they look at your cataract, say, yeah, you need cataract surgery, and they bring you back next week, and they do it for free. As far as I know, the entire staff volunteers there time for that. You know, they're technicians, they're nurses, the doctor's there, and, and they just do cataract surgery. We have a list that that was actually this year. Um, they usually do it around April or May. And every year, it never fails. I mean, like the week they do it, we have somebody come in the next week and has like this crazy cataract. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just never fails. Um, but we start a list. And we literally just keep plugging and chugging names on that list for the next two years. And then we start calling them in March hey, this is coming up. We need to get you set. You know, let's get you in there. And so that's that's really nice. We have people that will come back every year and just give us hugs and bring us all sorts of interesting foods and gifts. Is, is communication a difficulty with some of, you know, the, the immigrants? Because yeah. so much about an eye exam is communicating what I can see sure. to you, you know? Right. And if, if they're not able to tell if that's an E, you know, on the chart or or however it's happening. How do you deal with those kinds of things? You know, (laughs) it's so funny. So my staff always tells me that I'm like a miracle worker with people who don't speak English. I don't know why or how, but you can just tell when they can see. They smile. They give you thumbs up. They give you gestures. They nod their head. If I don't get it exact, I get it pretty darn close for them. I, I know that you are also involved in some other nonprofit charitable kinds of things sure. on your own. So tell me about those. Yeah. So um, I'm on the board for Snack Pack for Kids. Um, I got connected with that about a year and a half ago. Um, I was doing a really awesome program here in town called Leadership Amarillo, which I think is the most worthwhile thing in Amarillo to do. And I started seeing all these different areas. You know, we got to see Snack Pack for Kids. We got to see 
Space City Missions. We got to see just all sorts of nonprofits in town. And uh, one day, Ashley York, who uh, is kind of head of Snack Pack for Kid, she asked me to talk to one of the leadership groups that were coming through the teen leadership groups and sort of about my story, how I grew up in poverty and how I sort of made it out. And like two weeks later, Dyron Howell, who's the founder of Snack Packs, was coming to me asking me to be on the board. And so I was like, oh, okay. Like I was kind of shocked. Um, so I, I take my staff. We Once a month, we go up there, and I pay my staff to just go and volunteer, and we just pack bags for the kiddos um, or whatever Ashley needs us to do. We're, we're, we're her workers, whatever she needs. Um, I'm also on the community advisory board for the Laura W. Bush Institute of Women's Health. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very important to me, being a female female medical practitioner. Um, gender differences are, are very prominent in medicine, and a lot of people don't know about those. So I've been co-chair of Power of the Purse before. I work on that every year. Very very happy to do so. Um, I do some other stuff nationally. I do, you know, like I said, the Walmart Health and Wellness Board, which is trying to help move them into that leadership direction. Um, I am on the board for Energize, which is a natural national corporate optometry group too. Most of the things I do, I sort of have personal connections to. Like I said, with Snack Pack for Kids, I really, um, growing up in poverty, I knew what it was like to not have food sometimes. Um, so it's just again, heartwarming and fulfilling for me to help those kids. Um, The thing I'm most proud of, though, is my Sight Before Christmas toy drive. It's funny. A lot of people ask me, well, you're an eye doctor. What does that have to do with toys? About seven years ago, I had a staff meeting with my staff, and I said, let's just do free eye exams just one day. Let's let's just do that. And they kind of looked at me weird, and I always have crazy ideas, so they always kind of look at me weird. And they were like, Oh, okay, sure. Um, and then we sort of added another level to it. I said, well, what if we like had them bring a toy donation? And then it's it's just whatever's in their heart and their pocketbooks to give. It doesn't matter how much the toy donation is, and we'll do a eye exam form for free, whatever they need. Um, and so my staff went, all right, well, let's do it. And so the first year we did it, and I went to Walmart, and I asked Walmart, hey, if I did this, would y'all match the toys? And they very generously said yes, and they have matched them every year since. Uh, the first year we did it, it was so funny. We had maybe a hundred toys and we were so proud. Like we were just like, look at all these toys. Um, and then it just kept growing and growing and growing really exponentially. And last year we just had a phenomenal year. Um, we had $144,000 worth of toys donated in one year and we did 229 free eye exams. Um, so it, it was just crazy. I mean, it's a long day. We show up I mean, before the sun's even out, and then we leave before or after the sun's down. Um, but every year, I just have more and more people say, "Can I help? Can I help? I, I want to do something. What can I do?" So, do you get a blessed. different kind of patient coming? I mean, do yeah. you have people who are like, "I'm going to go get my eyes examined, examined, so I can bring these toys," you know, yeah. as opposed to like your usual clinic? Yeah. So most most people like that just bring toys and they don't get an okay. eye exam. Um, we have gotten a lot of homeless patients on that day. Um, there's always somebody who knows them, sees them, and buys a toy for them and helps them okay. out. Um, w- w- we see quite a few of those. In addition to that, we see people with lots and lots of children. Um, 
um, we'll have whole families, people with seven, eight kids, and then the parents will come in and they'll all do it at the same time. A lot, and my favorite, is the teenagers who really want contacts and their parents can't afford them. And so they'll come in and, and do a contact lens exam for them. Uh, nothing increases a teenager's self-esteem, like getting rid of their glasses. Right. <laughs> and so that one's always really fun. Um, we have just a lot of working people, too. I, I do see quite a few immigrants that day as well. Basically, it's people who are not qualifying for Medicaid but still don't have insurance. It's sort of the ones that fall between the cracks. Right. So that that's very gratifying as well to see that because that's really who we were trying to serve. Before we, you know, before we close this section, I'd like to hear a little bit more just about um, the city of Amarillo and, you know, the people here as they respond to poverty, you yeah. know, because one thing I hear really often is that Amarillo is such a generous place. We mm-hmm. have so many different nonprofits that are working to meet, you know, certain needs. Right. And as someone who, you know, as you said, you grew up in poverty and you've sort of climbed out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your perspective just on the needs here, the people here, and, and sort of that balance of, of trying to meet those? Yeah. So I think people's perception of poverty a lot of times is wrong. A lot of people think what they see on the news, you know, the people taking advantage of the system is what they assume poverty is. And that's not the way poverty is. Um, most people don't know people in poverty have more than one job. And they think that they're just lazy, they're, you know, milk in the system. And that's not true. My father suffered a lot from mental illness, which is one of the reasons we moved around so much. You know, there were times where he just couldn't really get a hold of what he needed to get a hold with. And we were suffering. We wouldn't have food. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have a place to stay. Um, I'm sorry. I get so emotional when I talk about this sometimes. Um, when we finally got here, when my dad finally got his GED and kind of moved up a little bit and we started moving up the ladder, so to speak, um, I got here. And even though we were doing better, we weren't doing great. We were kind of that middle group. We you know, were struggling to pay the bills. We were choosing which bills to pay. And I remember very distinctly my sophomore year in high school, I went to my school counselor and I asked her, hey, I... I thinking about this college thing. What do I need to do to, to do that? And she looked at me and said, college is really expensive. I don't think you'll be able to go. Mm. And so I, I was heartbroken. I went, oh, well, that, that kind of sucks. Okay, well, she knows better than I do. Not having anybody in my family having ever gone to college, I didn't know what it took. Luckily, I had a soccer coach. I played soccer in Caprock, and uh, we had a new soccer coach my junior year. And she was like, hey, have you ever thought about college? My grades were excellent. I was on track to graduate as either valedictorian or salutatorian. And she was like, have you ever thought of college? And I was like, yeah, but Miss So-and-so had told me that, you know, it just wasn't possible for me. And she's like, no, that's stupid. Of course you can go to college. And so if it wouldn't have been for her, I mean, college would have never even got on my radar. And so she really kind of took me under the wing, you know, was like, hey, you need to go take your SATs. I'm like, what the heck is an SAT? I mean, it's just amazing how much I didn't know. And so I, I really credit her to that. And then my senior year, it was kind of interesting too, a, a city councilman came to Caprock. His name was Kevin Knapp at the time. And he came and talked about having graduated from Caprock. And I, I don't even remember why he was there, what he was talking about. But I remember thinking, wow, he's a city councilman. And he graduated from Caprock. He did something. He made it. I still to this day don't even know what he did for a living, which is kind of funny. 
I probably need to ask somebody that. Um, but I just remember that being really inspirational. And so long story short, I graduated salutatorian and, and, and made it to uh, WT with some scholarships, things like that. Funny thing was, I didn't know what FAFSA was. I didn't know what, yeah. I didn't know I had to bring books to the first day of school. I didn't know. I mean, there was just, I could go on and on about stories of what I didn't know in college. Um, but well, I think, you didn't have anything to draw from. You were just on no, your own. No, no. And I'm embarrassed to say that was before the internet. So you couldn't yeah, Google anything, exactly. you know? So, um, so I'm really proud of the city and like the ACE program, the Thrive program, um, Emerald College, the ARC. There are just so many resources now for students that, that we didn't have when I was going through school. Amarillo has really stepped up and got behind education. Um, for me, education was and is the way out. It still is. And so I think that's really important that we're drilling that into students' heads now. Um, because when you are not from a college family, you don't get that. You know, my kids are three and six. I'm already talking to them about college. That's not something someone gets if their family's never gone to college because they don't know about it. So I'm really proud of how we've stepped up to, to really support education here in Amarillo. This week's episode is sponsored by BOC Bank at bocbanking.com. In Amarillo, you probably think of banks in terms of branches and locations. But BOC Bank takes a simpler route. More efficient technology, no tricks or hidden fees, and banking enhanced by a spirit of kindness and an openness to change. As a technology-first bank, they offer customers better deals on deposits and loans, especially business loans, due to the bank's low cost of funds. Based right here in Amarillo, BOC Bank is one of the few banks in Texas and the U.S. to program their own in-house software. In fact, pretty recently, a regulator visited the bank and said over the 20 years he's been monitoring banks, he's never seen one that uses its own software. Now that gives BOC Bank a huge local advantage as they move quickly on the latest tech trends. To learn more about their simpler, more efficient type of banking, visit bocbanking.com. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Okay, I'm back with Shauna Thornhill. Shauna, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Okay. Your job as my guest is to answer those in you know, whatever amount of detail you'd like to. Okay. So the first one, what is your favorite local restaurant? I have lots. <laughs> I like food. So my favorite Mexican restaurant would probably be El Tejavan. Um, that is just delicious. I love it. The atmosphere is pretty cool there, too. Um, barbecue, definitely Crazy Larry's. Okay. Um, I love that place. The Frito Pie is just perfection. Um, I missed barbecue so bad when we went to Philadelphia. Like I, I would can imagine it's it. not quite the same there. No. In fact, we had my husband's father send us a like dry iced brisket because you couldn't get brisket in the Northeast. They'd never You just even, can't buy that kind no, of meat No, they'd all. never even heard of brisket, which is so weird. Mm. I don't know. So definitely those. And then of course, my all-time favorite is Kabuki. My husband took me there our very first date. So just love that place. Okay, that's a that's a good list. Yeah. When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? So I visited Cadillac Ranch for the very first time about a year ago. Okay. A friend of mine in Philly has a first grader, and there's this thing called Flat Stanley. Yes. Yes, and so she sent it to us, and I was like, 
well, Flat Stanley has to go to the Cadillac Ranch. <laughs> so we took her, we took Flat Stanley there and took some pictures and checked it out. I imagine there have been a lot of Flat Stanleys or I think so too. Know, yeah. Other kinds of, you know, traveling little, oh, yeah. little characters that have been there. Oh, I bet. Well, we did all the all the normals, you know, we went to the Big Texan, took a picture by the Big Steak and did the Cadillac Ranch, Route 66, okay. all the staples, Amarillo staples. But it took somebody coming here from out of town yes. for you to actually yes. visit there. Isn't that funny? I just I don't know. It's it's just never really struck me to go there. Okay. What does this area have too much of? Right now, construction. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I'd say construction, wind, and tornadoes. Tornadoes? Yes. Okay. I hate tornadoes. Those are just frightening as all get up to me. When we had my son, he was, oh, I think he was three months old and there was a tornado and we've got a really open concept house. And so the only place is like our laundry room. So it was me, my husband, our four-year-old and my three-month-old like on two beanbags in the house. I thought this could not get any worse. I mean, it was just awful. Now, see, I remember, you know, I, I've lived here all my life. And so I remember in the eighties and stuff when I was a kid yeah, having tornado warnings all the time. Yeah, so like, you're used I was to it. it. And then I feel like tornadoes, we hardly have them at all anymore. That's so funny. You, know? you go to sleep and forget about them. I do. Yeah. I do. You know, I feel like, well, <laughs> Oklahoma has all of them now, and it's not a big deal yeah. here. But, you know, for somebody that hasn't lived here quite as yeah. long, it's Nope, it still I feels... hate them. I hate them. What does this area not have enough of? So I'll probably go the medical route. I say we need two things. We need more specialty pediatric care. Um, I have to refer so many patients to Lubbock to get specialty care. And again, with my patient base, transportation's an issue. It's an issue to get to my office, let alone to Lubbock. So when you need that specialty care, it's really difficult. Um, and then second, we need more Medicaid providers. We just don't have enough. I'll get adults that I've got to do a neurology consult for, and same thing, they've got to go to Lubbock. So it is just really, really difficult. And we have just got outstanding medical facilities here. That shouldn't be an issue. It just shouldn't be an issue. Without going into too much detail, why is uh, why is pediatric care considered such a specialty with the eye? I mean, obviously, with a little you know a little body, that's that's yeah. different. But the eyes right. are fairly consistent, right? From from childhood to adult, or well, do I not understand? Nice, nice. So the eye is fully developed at age three. Okay. Okay. So when you get people under three, though, so it's kind of interesting. Pediatric eye care is usually infants. Um, we're talking eye turns. We're talking congenital cataracts where they're born. Okay. And we just don't have a lot of that here. We do have one provider, um, but she's just overrun, you know? I mean, babies just take more care, obviously, for everything. Right. Um, well, they so, can't tell you right. what they can see. Yeah, either. absolutely. So, yeah, we, we just need more, and we need more that take Medicaid. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? So this is really funny. So I consult for a contact lens company. And so I go and speak nationwide to all sorts of different places. And the very first slide that I do of my presentations, it's a picture of Pantex and a picture of a cow farm. Okay. And I always tell them that I'm from Amarillo, Texas. And of course they say, is that near Houston? I'm like, that's 12 hours. How about Austin? That's eight. You know, you go through all the main cities that right. they know. And so I give them this little spiel. 
well. And at the end, I say, well, you know, we've got cows. We've got more cows than people. We've got a nuclear disarming facility. So basically, we have poop and plutonium. And so they always laugh and think that's funny. Um, so that's kind of the running joke of how I describe Amarillo. But when people call me or talk to me, it, it's the people. It, it's always the people that I talk about, how wonderful they are. And just that my day is such a lovely day because of all the people that I get to see and come in contact with. Okay. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? So that's an easy one, especially around Christmas time. It is the one they call Candy Cane Lane. So I am such a Christmas house, like, lights nut. Okay, like, we're talking, uh, oh, what is that show with Chevy Chase? uh, Christmas Vacation. Yes, you know how he lights up the house and it's like just ridiculously lighted up so that is like ideal christmas for me so there's that one street by the mall that they call yeah. candy cane lane gainsborough street gainsborough that's Belmar. it yes and it's like the whole street is just everybody is participating you know like how cool of a community you know let's all put lights on and everybody says okay let's do it that's awesome and that's a total community thing i mean yes. it's not a street like no, you know, it's in the Wolfland house. area where it's always a beautiful street. Yeah. This is just a regular yes. suburban street. That- and every house has really signed on and participated in that. I think that's cool. That's my favorite street to go around okay. at Christmas time. What's your favorite local coffee shop? So this is blasphemous, but I hate coffee. Okay. <laughs> so I that's never acceptable. Yeah, so I never drink coffee. So I'm an iced tea drinker. So I love both water still and Texas tea. I am convinced I pay somebody's salary at each of those locations. Love it every day, several of them. That's probably a question I should add to my eight straight is water still or Texas tea. There you like, go. Where do you yes. Get your tea? Because yes. so many people in Amarillo. They're one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they love tea. I mean, there's yes. a lot of tea places. Yes. So. I, I love both of them. I just, and that was another thing I missed in Philly too. When you order tea in the East, they bring you hot tea. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, what is this? I want some ice in it. You know, it's just, they think it's weird up there. Hardly ever can you get iced tea up in the Northeast. But the cheesesteak sandwiches. Oh, no, the cheesesteaks are amazing. Yes. When was the last time you wore cowboy boots? So I've got one pair of cowboy boots, and usually I only wear them to, like, cowboy-esque functions, you know, to try to fit in with the crowd. So, like, the Cattle Baron Ball or uh, the Junior League does Top of Texas or, you know, just, like, random things where people are dressed like cowboys, the rodeo. So even if you're not riding a horse to school, you do still have occasional cowboy-esque functions here. That's right. I'd rather wear heels. I need that three-inch height. All right. Okay, well, that concludes the eight straight questions. Shauna, I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something locally. So what's something in this area that you want listeners to know about or to experience? So I would say Leadership Amarillo. I thought that was the most rewarding experience probably of my life. Okay, so explain what that is for people so, that maybe have heard about it but don't yeah, really know what you Yeah, so do. Leadership Amarillo, it's actually Leadership Amarillo and Canyon, is a group in town that it's, it's run by Lisa Blake. And basically what they do is they get business professionals. Um, pretty much every main company here in Amarillo sends them. So Pantex, Bell, all the banks, um, United, I mean, pretty much all the major players um, in town send an employee there. And it's to work on leadership development, obviously, hence the name. Um, but they also take you all around Amarillo and show you really great things. So we got to tour Pantex, we got to tour Bell, um, we toured nonprofits like Snack Pack for Kids, um, Faith City Missions, we toured Cal Farley's Boys Ranch, um, we even went to the prison, we got to do 
do a police ride along. Um, Dr. Russell Lowry Hart from AC came and talked. Elliot Moreno came and talked about poverty. Um, it is just so rewarding because you learn about all the wonderful things in Amarillo and really how to get plugged into those things. Um, just in addition to meeting a lot of really cool people innovators, movers, shakers, people who are really into making Amarillo a better place. And so if, if it's something that people want to be involved in, they just need to ask their employer or? Yeah, so you can do it one of two ways. So I'm obviously self-employed. Right. So, you know, I ask myself. Um, you can just go to their website. Um, I think it's Amarillo and Can- leadershipamarillocanyon.org, I think. But you can go to Google, plug that in. And um, yeah, you can just apply for it yourself um, or talk to your employer. Because like I said, almost all the major companies here in town had some representation there. So yeah, just ask about it. And how long is the program last? So it's basically a year. So they start, I think it was September. It was either August or September and it goes to May. And you do it just one Thursday every month. And Lisa Blake has something really awesome planned. You go visit something. They have great speakers. It's it's neat. The poverty simulation was really eye-opening for a lot of people. Um, it's, it's just a really cool program. All right. Shauna Thornhill, Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, I really thanks appreciate for it. having me. I really appreciate it. I never think I'm that interesting, so <laughs> I was surprised for the ask. <laughs> I, uh, I think you've done a great job. So. Well, thank you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Shauna for being on the show. You can learn more about her practice at AmarilloVision.net. Learn more about Leadership Amarillo and Canyon at LeadershipAmarillo.org. Thanks also to BOC Bank for sponsoring this episode. If, if you want to know what I want for Christmas, it's podcast reviews. So leave a review at Apple Podcasts or even on Facebook, which helps other people discover the show. If you're interested in supporting this podcast as an individual or as a sponsor, visit patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Daniel Davis, and Wilson Lemieux. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.